This is my last lesson. I was asked to do this tonight. Some of you are aware of, of many of these things, but we have added a lot of new people to the church in the last two years, and it's been quite some time since I've done something like this, but um, this is our message, the gospel according to Moses, and so uh, out of honor of the word, would you stand with me one more time? We're going to read from Psalms 89 and verse 15 in the King James Version. It said, blessed is the people that know the joyful sound. They shall walk, O Lord, in the light of thy countenance. All right. God bless you. You may be seated. Several years ago, I've always tried to have some type of devotion most days of the week. Um, um, I don't read my Bible every day of the week. Uh, I could lie to you and say that I do, but I'm trying to make my living by telling the truth. So uh, I, don't, uh, I don't pray every day, and I don't read my Bible every day. I, I get most of it. Uh, I had a neighbor um, at the old house. And uh, he was a very uh, devout Muslim. And uh, he let me know that Muslims are much more devout than Christians. And uh, I, I said, I agree with you. And that kind of stunned him. Um, if you've ever spent time with people of the Muslim faith, they have something known as the pillars of El Shagrib. And there are five pillars. Uh, to be five things you need to do if you consider yourself or want to be considered a, a good Muslim. Um, uh, the, the first one is tithing. They're, uh, they're big on tithing. You can't be a good Muslim if you don't tithe. And um, there's something known as the Hajj. And uh, that is um, at least once in your lifetime you need to, you need to go to Mecca. And... Um, um, but uh, uh, devout Muslims pray five times a day. And, um, and he asked me, he said, I pray five times a day. How many times do you pray? And I said, well, there are some days I don't pray at all. And he, he just, that he was stunned that I would be that brutally honest with him. And I said, you, you have to understand the value of Christianity is not based on the one doing the believing. The value of Christianity is based on the one we believe in. And he, did, he, he said, what does that mean? I said, well, you believe that Allah is God and Muhammad was his prophet. What happened to Muhammad? He said, uh, he died. I said, yes, he did. I said, it's quite possible that the greatest politician that ever lived was a man named Caesar. Um, he died on the Senate steps of Rome. It's uh, possible that the, the greatest uh, philosopher died in a prison in Athens drinking hemlock. Um, I, I, I just said, uh, 
The difference between the one you believe in and the one I believe in is I believe Jesus Christ died and rose again. And uh, he didn't know what to do about that. I said, your prophet died and stayed dead. Mine died and came back to life. So my religion, if you want to call it that, is based on the one I'm believing in and not just in my own self-righteous devotion. And um, he, he said, well, if that's the case, then your prophet's bigger than mine. And it was like, uh, I didn't say that, you did, but I agree with you. And, uh, <laughs> but I, I, I remember the day when I was reading this verse. I always try to read <clears throat> the Bible through every year in another translation. And uh, if you don't have a one-year Bible, I strongly, strongly urge you to get one. And even though it's the end of August, just get one and start reading it, okay? You don't need to know every chapter and every verse, but you do need to familiarize yourself with <clears throat> the Word. And... Um, So I was reading this Psalms in King James, and I was reading it with a companion text in the Amplified Bible. This is what stunned me when I read 89 and 15 in the Amplified. It said, blessed, happy, fortunate, to be envied are the people who know the joyful sound. And then... In parenthesis, it says this, who understand and appreciate the spiritual blessings symbolized by the feast. They shall walk, O Lord, in the light and favor of your countenance. And when I read that thing that was in quotations there, who understand and appreciate the spiritual blessings that the feast symbolize, I didn't know what that meant. And so it sent me on what has been a lifelong journey to, to get, I want that blessing. And, and I, I can have it if I will understand and appreciate what the feast are symbolic of. And so uh, for years I have used the scripture. It's really been the, the basis of, of pastoring and teaching you here. It's in Isaiah 46, 9 and 10. It says, I am God and there is none else. I am God and there's none like unto me, declaring the end from the beginning. And from ancient times, the things that are not yet done, saying my counsel shall stand and I'll do all my pleasure. And so that verse resonated with me, that if you want to understand the end, you have to be a student of the beginning. And so you ask people, what are the feast? And most people are like I was. I don't have a clue what the feast were. And so it, uh, I went back to the beginning. And I went back to the book of Leviticus, the third book that Moses wrote. And uh, you have to go to the 23rd chapter of the book of Leviticus. And in the beginning of chapter 23, it said, these are the feast of the Lord. This is not the feast of Israel. These are the, this is the feast of the Lord. 
And, and the first feast is found in 23 and verse 5. And it says, speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, uh, oh, you're, you're better. Just we're going to proclaim the feast. Thank you, Matthew. And we'll go to three, four, and five. And six days work will be done. Holy convocation. And uh, the first one is, uh, these are the feast of the Lord, even holy get-togethers, holy convocations, which you shall proclaim in their seasons. This is important. You have to realize this. In the 14th day of the first month at even or at evening is the Lord's Passover. Now, if you go back to Genesis chapter one, it'll say the evening and the morning. It doesn't say the morning and the evening. It says the evening and the morning, you know, were the first day and the second day and the third day, etc. Because Jesus one time said, are there not 12 hours in a day? And you're going, wait a minute, you're God in flesh. You ought to be smarter than that. But to, to, to an Orthodox Jew, the day started at six in the morning and it ended at six in the evening. And that's why when you look at the day of Pentecost, uh, uh, when the day of Pentecost was fully come and they were all with one accord in one place, suddenly there came a sound from that rush, my rush. And uh, when Peter was explaining to, somebody said, they're drunk. And he said, it's the third hour of the day, which means it's nine o'clock in the morning, nine o'clock in the morning. So 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., those are what Jesus was referring to. Are there not 12 hours in a day? So then from six in the evening until six in the morning, it's divided into what are known as watches. 6 p.m. to nine in the evening, first watch, nine to midnight, second watch, midnight to three, third watch. As a matter of fact, you read in the book of Acts, Paul refers to one time being on a ship in the third watch. You know, uh, that's why the Bible talks about watch and pray. Watch and pray. And, and so I don't have time to get sidetracked with all of that. But when the sun went down, that triggered the next day. Okay, so on the evening of the 14th, Passover would begin. Okay, that's the first feast. And then six through eight gives us the next feast. It starts on the 15th day. When you say the first month, I, I'll just give this to you quickly. You can proof text at me, but a Bible year was 360 days. There was 30 months or 30 days in a month. I think later on I'm, I'll show some of that to you. But um, um, uh, this, this, so when you talk about the first month to an Orthodox Jew, it's something called Abib, which corresponds to her April. So we're going to call this April the 14th is when Passover begins, okay? And then in verse six through eight, the next feast begins on the next day. It's on the 15th day of the same month is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. That's feast number two. Now it doesn't say 16th, but if you do your homework, you can find that that's accurate. The third feast is what is known as first fruits. It begins in verse 10, and 10, 11, 12, 13, and 14 
of chapter 23 of Leviticus. So you have Passover on the first day, unleavened bread on the second day, first fruits on the third day, okay? And then you have what is known as Pentecost. Jews call that Shabbat. And uh, that's given to us in chapter 23, 15 through 21. And then the sixth feast is known as atonement. Um, Jews refer to that as Yom Kippur. Um, That's 27 to 32. And then the last one is the Feast of Tabernacles, which is called Sukkot. That's 34 through 36. So those are the seven feasts of the Lord. Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits, Pentecost, trumpets, atonement, tabernacles. Okay? And um, now, now... this is a Pentecostal church, and, uh, but what you have to understand is Pentecost, that word Pentecost, is never used in the Old Testament. That's a New Testament word. But in the Old Testament, it's, it's the Pentecost, what we call Pentecost, or the fourth festival, is known as the Feast of Weeks. It's also known as the Feast of Harvest. Because if you, I've said this to you again and again and again, Israel, there is an agricultural, they're farmers, okay? And so the whole world, the whole year revolves around sowing and reaping and harvest and that type of thing. And so you have a first harvest at the beginning of the year and you have a last harvest at the end of the year. And... um, uh, the first harvest was grains, which would be like uh, wheat and barley and uh, corn. And the final harvest, the last harvest, was when they harvested grapes and when they harvested olives. Or that's where they got wine and oil. And uh, so um, Pentecost is a New Testament term. Now you've got penta which is, uh, you know, a pentangle or is, is, a, is a derivative of five or in this case, 50. And um, so for the purpose of my lesson, we could be here a long, long time. I'm not going to deal with the last three feasts of trumpets, atonement, tabernacles. I'm going to confine my lesson tonight to the first four. Because what, you, what the deal is, okay, we, we, we've, we figured out, we've identified what the feasts are. Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits, Pentecost. But that's not where the blessing comes from. The blessing comes from what do these feasts symbolize? Well, what what do they mean? What are they trying to teach us? And um, in order for you to understand this lesson, there, there are three things you have to understand about the feast. Number one, the feast have to have to. Uh, remind us of a historical event that happened in Israel's past. The the second thing is that um, they must have significance in the ministry of Jesus Christ. And the third thing is they have to be fulfilled in the church. Now, if you study Acts chapter 7, which is the last message of Stephen, um, before he was stoned, I, I think I have it in my note. In verse 38 of Acts chapter 7, Stephen refers to Israel as the church, the church in the wilderness. 1 Corinthians 10 is, is probably the best chapter about this. All these things happened unto them for examples unto us. And it says they are written for our admonition, not theirs, 
We're, we're the ones that are supposed to figure out what the thing symbolizes. They live through it, but what they live through is supposed to bring a blessing to you and I if we understand the ramifications, not just historically of what happened, but what was it prophetical of? And, and, and Passover, uh, you know, begins on the 14th day of the first month. And uh, so what's the history here? What's the history here? Uh, the history is in Exodus chapter 12. Israel is in captivity in Egypt. And uh, they, they take a lamb and they put that blood on the side of the door and on the top of the door. So, you know, if you've got a door and you put it on, you know, here and here and here and you connect the dots, it's a, it's a pretty powerful statement about the cross even then. And um, you put that blood on your house. And when the angel saw the blood on your house, it passed over your house. Okay? Um, there's lots and lots and lots and lots of Bible about this. There's, there's a great thing when you read about Exodus 12. It says this, And if the lamb be too big for the house. That's what it says. If you know your scriptures, when Israel came out of Egypt, the Bible calls it a mixed multitude because we just think it was all Israelites that came out of Egypt. That's not true. These were not the only people enslaved. There were Egyptians that were slaves. And there's another broad category of people known as the stranger. Just different people that had been picked up, POWs, different people that they had enslaved and they are indentured. They're not indentured. They're not getting paid for what they did. They're, 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 they're slaves. And um, so here you are and you've got a neighbor that's an Egyptian on one side and you've got a neighbor on the other side that we'll just call them the stranger. And you say, hey, come over to our house tomorrow night. We're having lamb chops. And it's like, really? That's, that's a great meal for a slave. You know, you've got lamb chops. That's like say, come on over. We're having tenderloin. Yep. No, I'll be there. And so you, you because, listen to me, the lamb is always too big for just your house. You need to make, it, 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 it'll feed more than just your house. So you invite somebody over to your house for lamb chops. And it's, you know, 11 o'clock. And uh, they're saying, you know, I, I, I got a lot of bricks I got to make tomorrow. I, uh, man, it's been a great meal. It's time for me to go. And I say, uh, hey, uh, <clears throat> how do you think the lines are going to do this year? <clears throat> you know, um, you think Jared Goff's going to pull it off? They always talk about restore the roar. Meow. That's about as much a roar as I've heard. The, the, the lions, I think they're grateful, but the, the, these are the most loyal fans anywhere in the country. This is Chicago Cubs, I guess. Um, but uh, how do you think they're going to do? All of a sudden it's quarter to midnight and I say, uh, what about the Tigers? You think the Tigers are ever going to ever going to win the World Series again? They did it in 1968. Do you, th do you think they could, they could do it again? 
and, and that hit the spot and they're talking. And all of a sudden you're watching. And all of a sudden it's midnight and something goes through that camp and through that whole nation. And whoever the firstborn was that was not in a house with blood on it died. So what you have to understand, it's firstborn. In other words, um, if the dad, they might have had a little boy in that house. He was the firstborn son. That baby died. If the dad was the firstborn son, he died. Maybe grandpa's still alive and he was a firstborn son. He died. There were lots of families that were touched with multiple deaths that night. It was a terrible, terrible thing. And, and I, I, I promise you, those people were tickled to death. They stayed till past midnight. It's one of the reasons why they joined up and left. I'll take my chances with these people right here. It's like in Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas um, saying, God sent an earthquake. I, I've been in two earthquakes in my life and um, I wasn't in a building that collapsed. But I've seen buildings that collapse in earthquakes. And what happens usually is it's a very poor foundation. The walls go out and the roof comes down. Well, the Bible said in Acts chapter 16, the only thing that happened was all the doors broke open. I've said this dozens of times and I never get tired of saying it. Paul and Silas knew the Lord, but they're bound. They're surrounded by a bunch of crooks and cons and thieves and God knows what else. They didn't know God and they were bound. But when freedom came to the bound people that did know God, that's when freedom came to the bound people that didn't know God. So our freedom is, is, is what's going to enable the other. If the church stays bound, the world's never going to get free. We claim to know Jesus, then for goodness sakes, we need to get free. All right. Which means singing, clapping, worshiping, magnifying God. That's how the earthquake came. And so, you know, according to Roman law, I did a lot of work years ago on Roman law. I found out that according to Roman law, a slave never had to participate in the religion of their master. That's why in the book of Acts, um, uh, Rhoda, Rhoda said she's a servant girl. She didn't have to be a prayer meeting, but she was which is, that, that's the diehards, okay? Uh, and, and then I also found that by Roman law, if you were a soldier and you were responsible for a, a prisoner and that prisoner escaped, you now are responsible for their, for their sentence. So if there were people in that prison who were, you know, going to get executed. <laughs> no wonder that jailer came in scared to death. And Paul just stunned him. He said, you know, he was going to commit suicide. It's like, I might as well do it by my own hand and go through all the torture of the others. And Paul said, do thyself no harm. We're all still here. Now I can understand Paul and Silas staying in a jail cell with the door open but I have a really hard time wrapping my mind around all these crooks and cons and thieves and God knows what else. They didn't leave either. I'm going to tell you why I think they stayed. Because the roof didn't fall in. It's the same thing with these strangers. And the, I'm going to take my chances with the preacher. 
I'm not going anywhere. Looks to me like if I hang out with these people, I'm going to be okay. And that's what happened in Egypt. And that contributed to this massive number. And I never thought of it until right now. But if you've been in here for any length of time, I've talked to you about a city the size of Houston, Texas. Two million people in Houston, Texas. According to Numbers chapter 1, there were 603,550 men over the age of 20 able to go to war. I don't know how many men there were under the age of 20. I have no number for how many women were there. I have no number for how many people were in the tribe of Levi because they were forbidden to ever number the Levites. And so when I do the math, it's not hard for me to wrap my mind around two million people. But most writers think it was far north of that. And I'm not taking it. I have no number for how many Egyptians came with them. I have no number for the strangers that came with them. This is the biggest jailbreak in the history of the world. And, 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 and this, this, this is powerful because this is what it says uh, in John chapter 1 and verse 36. John referred to Jesus as the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the whole world. And so you, you, I, I've told you how many times the story of my grandma on her rugs and, and untying it and pulling on it. And you pull on it there and it puckers over there. And there are things given to us in the beginning of the Bible. And when you pull on them in the writings of Moses, they pucker over there in Revelation. This is the very same thing because you have, you have the story of Cain and Abel. And Abel brought, brought a firstling of the flock. There's flocks and there's herds in the Bible. Herds were cows. But flocks were sheep and goats. And knowing what we know in the rest of that Bible, there's no doubt that Abel offered a lamb. Okay? But it wasn't for Cain. It wasn't for his mom. It wasn't for his dad. It was a lamb for a man. Okay? And now you, you, you get here in Exodus chapter 12 and, and you've got a, a lamb for a family or at least a household. And, and you have Noah coming out of the ark and he offered a clean sacrifice for his family. So that's Exodus chapter six. So in or, or Genesis chapter six. So in Genesis chapter three, you have the story of, of Cain and Abel, a lamb for a man. In Genesis six, you have a lamb for a family. By the time you get to Exodus 12, you have a lamb for a household. If you went on and talked about the atonement sacrifice, that was something for a nation. But when you get to Jesus, it says, this is the lamb for the whole world. And it just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And that's why you, you, there's, there's no need of another Calvary. He is the ultimate. It says in Hebrews, not by the blood of bulls and goats, but by his own blood, he hath obtained eternal redemption for us. He's the lamb, capital L. Okay. How many times do I to go to Ephesians chapter four? One spirit, capital S. God is spirit, John 4, 24. I've talked to you about how, 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 how in, in Malachi, the son of righteousness, capital S. It, it, it's, it's not, it, he is the son of righteousness. But, but here, it's the lamb, capital L. It's not just any sheep here. This is Jesus Christ. 
Okay, and, and, and this, is, this is very powerful because when you read Corinthians 5 and 7, watch, watch this, watch what it says. Purge out therefore the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you are unleavened for even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Now we're starting to get what those feasts symbolize. Okay, because... That, 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 remember, it's got to be historical. That's Exodus chapter 12. But it's got to have influence in the life and ministry of Jesus. This is Corinthians 5 and 7. Or, of course, Calvary, the crucifixion. All right? You got that? It, 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 it's, it's a big deal. So what's the next feast? Unleavened bread. And, and so what, what is the historical occasion? They, 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 they are commanded you got to eat this in haste. Okay? You, you don't have time to wait on the bread to rise up. Don't put a yeast in the thing. Nothing is lifted. Nothing, nothing's rising up. You know? And, and why? Because they got to get to the water on time. All right? And, and, and so this, what, what? Jesus is the fulfillment of Passover on the cross. The next day after Passover, these Jews... It's crazy. They're celebrating Passover and Passover's on the cross and they don't get it. That's why Jesus said, oh, if you would have just known what today is. When he rode into that Jerusalem on that donkey, like Zechariah said, there's all these prophecies, just dozens and dozens and dozens of them that are fulfilled in all of this goings on. And, 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 and it, it, it stuns me because it, there's, Ladies and gentlemen, if there's one place that you can have, know that the Bible is accurate and you can trust it, it's all of these prophecies that are fulfilled when Jesus came into Jerusalem and all of the things that he suffered and all the things that were fulfilled on the cross. There's just no way all these dozens of people could have said this hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before and all of it climax in that moment. You, you can't make odds that high. And, 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 and it, it, it's so amazing because the, the, the third feast is unleavened, or first, first fruits, rather. What is first fruits? It's when they remind themselves of that day that they got out of Egypt. And, and, and it's just, why, why didn't Jesus resurrect on the day after he was crucified? He can't because he said, destroy this temple and in three days, not two, in three days, I will raise it up. As Jonah was three days in the belly of the whale, so shall the son of man be three days in the heart of the earth. So Passover is Calvary. All right. Unleavened bread is the burial. It's the grave. Nothing's lifted. Nothing rises up the day after Passover. But the third day is first fruits. Watch. It, 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 this, this, is, this always stunned me because this is in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Let, we're going to read 20 through 23. Watch what it says. But now is Christ risen from the dead. Here we go. And become the first fruits of them that slept. 
For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ the first fruits, and afterward they that are Christ at his coming. He is just like in Corinthians 5, he's called Passover. In Corinthians 15, he's called first fruits. These words mean nothing to you if you don't understand the feast. But if you understand, you get the blessing that the feast symbolizes. Wahoo! Israel's celebrating Passover. Passover's on the cross. Israel's celebrating unleavened bread. Passover's in the grave. Amen. Israel's celebrating first fruits and that great jailbreak in their history. And they're missing the greatest jailbreak in the history of the world when Jesus came out of the grave. It's an inside job. It's it's incredible. And and that's why I don't have time to do it. But when you start studying Acts chapter 3 through Acts chapter 10, they just keep talking about this is the one that resurrected from the dead. That's what validated that early church. Not just the one that died, the one that resurrected from the dead. That's power, ladies and gentlemen. Power. And, 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 and so, you know, uh, you, you, when, you, when you read, I didn't read it to you, but, but, but I can. Uh, let's, let's do it, Matthew. Let's do um, Leviticus 20 through 2023. 20, um, I, I want to I do that uh, seven Sabbaths. Find that verse, seven Sabbaths. Um, See if you can find that. He's always so good to figure this out for me. Got anointed fingers. Because when you study the fourth feast in Leviticus 23, it says you're going to number from the day that you brought this wave offering seven Sabbaths. And then it'll say seven Sabbaths and the morrow after. There we go. You shall count unto you from the morrow after the Sabbath. From the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering. What was the sheaf of the wave offering? What was that? That was first fruits. I I read something that fascinated me years ago. It said when they would sow their seed. And remember that scripture says in in Romans 12. "I, uh, I beseech you by the mercies of God that you present your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, which is your reasonable service. Let, let me, this is one of the great places in the Bible to just show how reasonable the Lord was because they're all farmers. So his deal was, okay, sow your seed. They would sow their seed. And what I read was they'd take a ring and they would throw it out, just indiscriminately throw it out over their freshly sown dirt. Nothing's popped up yet. It's just all, you know, the furrows are there, the seeds in there. They've covered it over, but nothing's springing up. But when those first shoots would begin to spring up out of the ground, they would go out into their garden, into their field and find that ring. And they would cut down all of the green shoots in that ring. No harvest yet. This is first fruits. Okay. And they would take that and they would bring that to Jerusalem and they would throw it up in the air. it's It's a wave offering. Okay. In other words, they're thanking God for the harvest they're going to have. They don't have a harvest yet. This is just the, 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 the witness. Something's growing. 
something's, something's coming on here. In just a couple weeks, we're going to have us our, our first harvest. And so this is what it says in Leviticus 23. From that, from that day that you waved that sheaf, you threw them green things before the Lord, you're going to number seven Sabbaths plus a day. So this is seven weeks plus a day. This is where you get 50. All right. 50 days after first fruits is what's called Pentecost. And, and, and this is very important because when you study Acts chapter one, it said Jesus showed himself alive after his passion for 40 days. This is when you read John 15 through the end of the book, because because this is I, I, I keep I've said this and there I've been misunderstood for a, by a lot of people for a lot of years when I said this. But it's like we, we do not have access to a biblical Jesus. And when I say that, people think that I'm like a heretic. But I want you to understand that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all end with the same story. The death, burial, and resurrection, and he leaves. Everything that we have in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all happened before his resurrection. Okay? We're on the other side of the resurrection. If he could do all this stuff before he was resurrected... Then tell me what we have access to now. Because see, I, I don't find any place in the Bible where Jesus ever delivered a cocaine addict. I believe that Jesus can do everything that's in that Bible. But I believe he can do stuff that's not in that Bible. Why? Because the stories we have about Jesus are before he left. All right? We're on the other side of the resurrection. That's why Luke 24 is so powerful. He opened up their understanding concerning the scripture. It's like, oh, that's what you was talking about, boss. Okay, I get it now. Yahoo. And it's what I talked to you about Sunday. It's Matt Dillon pinning pin the store and fessing. I'm leaving. You're in charge. I mean, think of this. This is the God of all glory who's confined himself to flesh. Leaving it in the hands of these Fishermen, guy that worked for the IRS, common people like you and me. Hallelujah. Dwight Moody one time said, God must love, must love common people because he made monkeys, parakeets, and us. You know? It's just, I love that scripture in Corinthians that he loves to take the simple things and confound the wise. He loves to take the weak things and confound the mighty. So that's the way you pray. I'm simple and I'm weak. Don't say, you really need me, Jesus, because I can do this. I got four degrees. I got a lot of money in the bank. I drive a really nice car. Look at me. I know you'd love to have me in your church. The Bible said there was no beauty in him that you would desire. We're living in a culture that puts such a premium on external beauty. And it's just, you've got to understand something, ladies and gentlemen. It's just, I, I'm, not, I'm never going to be the president of the United States. I'm just not, okay? I'm not going to win the New York City Marathon this year, okay? I can't run 23 and a half miles. I can't run two miles, all right? It's just, it's just I, I, I'm not negating. You understand what I'm saying? We, 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 we have, we've got these, these stars that are paraded in front of us again and again. Our young people are being force-fed. Uh, Kim Kardashian, are you kidding me? What'd she do? 
Okay, I remember there's a girl years ago, Paris Hilton. What did she do? I, 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 I hear George Clooney and, and these other guys telling us the way things ought to be. Wait a minute, you're an actor. You spent your whole life trying to be like somebody, pretending to be somebody else. I'm supposed to listen to a pretender? To t- and now you've got to go to, t- t- to television or cable to get what's known as reality. Are you kidding me? That's not reality. That's a sham. And our kids are being force fed all this stuff that this is who they ought to mimic. This is who they ought to replicate. Do our children have, is there any child in this church that has a picture of their dad in their room? Is there anybody in this church, kids have a picture of their mom? See, I think mom and dad ought to be heroes. That's what I think. I, I just, ah, it, it's, it's just, you ever heard of a passion play? What is that? You know, crucifixion, resurrection. That explains, I think, I think it's Acts 1 and 3, Matthew. You, you, he showed himself alive after his passion. Is it 1 and 3? Oh, man, I'm getting good at this, man. Gee whiz, only took me 40 years, you know, by infallible proofs. The word infallible means it's a watertight case. There's no hole in it. Okay. But it's, he resurrects, teaches them for 40 days and leaves. But what did he say when he left? Go to Jerusalem and tarry, which means wait until you be endued with the promise. Power from on high. So how long did they wait? 10 days. Why? Because I got to get to 50. And Acts 2 and 1 says, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come. And Pentecost was always 50 days after first fruits. And since Jesus resurrected on first fruits, it's a no-brainer. Matthew, give me the last verse in Luke 24. Remember, remember, John 7, 37, 38, and 39, Holy Ghost was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified, which means he left, right? What? Look at the last, this is the last verse in the book of Luke. And they were continually in the temple praising and blessing God before the Holy Ghost ever showed up. In other words, they weren't just waiting. They were worshiping while they waited. They that wait upon the Lord should renew their strength. But don't just sit there and wait. Worship while you wait. Why? Because you're not supposed to get weaker while you wait. You're supposed to get stronger while you wait. And you can't get stronger if you negate worship while you're waiting. (laughs) Hallelujah. All right. This is powerful because what does that mean? There's there's no doubt the Sabbath is Saturday. Okay. I agree with the seven-day Adventist. I agree with that. Sabbath is Saturday. But the Bible, what, what, when, when was first fruits? The morrow after the Sabbath, which means Jesus resurrected on a Sunday morning. When did the Holy Ghost, when was it manifested in those people's lives? At nine o'clock on a Sunday morning. Why? Because the Sabbath was the day for the old covenant, but a new covenant requires a new day. The new day for the new covenant was the resurrection, was the morrow after the Sabbath. All right? 
So, how do I do this? Um, the, the, the first fruits was a reminder of the jailbreak. You know, what, what, what in the world is Pentecost all about? You know, pa- Passover was the cross. Unleavened bread was, you know, the grave. First fruits was the resurrection. Or Passover was when the death angel passed over in Egypt. Unleavened bread is when they didn't put the yeast in their dough. First fruits is when they got out of Egypt. Okay, that's the historical. That's the fulfillment in Jesus. But it's got to be fulfilled in the church. And so it took a long time for me to figure this out. But I've asked people for years, when was the first Pentecost? Acts chapter 2. No. Pentecost is the Jewish feast that commemorated the giving of the law at Sinai. That's the history behind Pentecost. Okay, watch. Here's Exodus 12 and verse 3. It's the 10th day of the first month. 10th day of the first month. All right? When, when, you, you with me? Okay, so what, what, watch. Here's, here's Exodus 19 and verse 1. When did they come to Sinai? The first day of the third month. Okay? So Bible months are 30 days long. So I know you're going to say, prove it. Okay, here's Genesis 7 and verse 11. 7 and 11. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, in the 17th day of the month. That's when fountains of the, okay? Second month, 17th day of the month. Now look at 8 and 4 of Genesis. And the ark rested in the seventh month, on the 17th day of the month, okay? It begins, second day, 17th, second month, 17th day. It rests seven, five months, okay? You with me? Okay, now watch. Watch seven and 24. And the ark rested, and the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. Here's eight and verse three. Watch what it says. And the waters returned from off the earth continually. After the end of the 150 days, the waters were abated. Those first two verses I gave showed it's called five months. Second month, 17th day. Seventh month, 17th day. But these verses said it was 150 days. Five divided into 150, 30. Okay? That's why if you're an Orthodox Jew, every couple years, they need an additional month. They don't deal with the same calendar that we have to deal with. And so it's obvious that they left 10th day of the first month. Okay? There has to be 20 days left in the month. So you add that to the 30 days of the second month. And now you have Exodus 19 and 1. It's the first day of the third month. The second month's already gone. In other words, there's 50 days until you come to Sinai. You with me? Watch. What 
happened at Sinai. Well, this is what it says in Hebrews 12 and verse 18. Hebrews 12 compares two mountains, Sinai and Zion, okay? But it says, you are not come unto the mount that might be touched and that burned with fire, nor blackness, nor darkness and tempest. You know what the word tempest means? Strong wind. Strong wind. Okay. Also, this one says there's fire there. Exodus 19 and 18 says Sinai was on fire. Okay. In Exodus chapter 19, you know, Exodus 20 is when all the commandments are given. But this is a pet peeve of mine and I'm just, I'm in Bible class. So I'm going to give it to you again. I'm asking you to be very careful by prefacing what you say with God told me. I I personally think we use that phrase much too cavalier and much too casually. In fact, in Exodus 19, God spoke audibly to the entire nation of Israel and the Egyptians and the strangers. They heard him speak. You know what they said? Who said it? We don't ever want this to happen to us again. They say, Moses, you talk to God, we'll talk to you. We don't ever want God talking to us again because we'll die. Habakkuk or Habakkuk, however you want to pronounce his name. He said, when God spoke to me, it was like the marrow in my bones was rotten. The Bible said that when Jesus spoke, they fell on their face. Matthew chapter 17 at the Mount of Transfiguration. They fell on their face like they were dead. So be real careful and say, God told me this. God told me that. God told me this. God told me that. I, I just think a lot of people ate too much pizza. I really do. And in the Old Testament, if you said God told you and it didn't happen, they stoned you. Because they weren't going to let that foolishness keep on going on. I was in a meeting somewhere between the North Pole and the South Pole not too long ago. And someone came up to me and said, "Uh, Brother Hobbin, uh, God told me you have a word for me. And I said, yep, I do. And I I had a Bible. I gave him the Bible. I said, I got 66 books of it right there. There you go. And I said, no, 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 no. Just God told me you got a word for me. That's, that's, that's the flavor of the month right now. I'm going to speak them words. Prophesy over me. Fine. You just better be careful before you start fooling around on them games. Because you mess up people's lives really bad with that kind of stuff. We had a bozo years ago that used to go to this church. Claimed he died and went to heaven. Came back, told people in this show, you're going to have a baby. They never did have a baby. Messed their head up. We should have took him out of the parking lot and stoned him, rocked him to sleep with big rocks. <laughs> it's just, I, 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 I'll say, I really feel like the Lord impressed this on my heart. I really feel like I saw this in the word, but, but, but I don't, I don't want to just take that thing out for a drive 10 times every day. God told me this, God told me this, God told me this, God told me that. God spoke to Noah and didn't speak to him again for another 120 years. It's just a thought. I'm just telling you reverence. The fear of the Lord is the beginning. 
Some people haven't even got to first base. They, 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 they have no, where, you know, where, whatever happened to conviction? I, I've seen things happen in church that, oh God, it scares me. But it's like, there's no fear of the Lord anymore. I, I, I'm coming to church today. They read a poll. 40% of America believes there'll be a civil war within the next 10 years. Oh, that's wonderful. Just keep talking about that. We just, this whole thing's in confusion. It's a mess. It's just like, like God spoke to these people and they said, mm, we don't want that to happen, but he did speak to them. All right. What, what does it say in Exodus 24 and verse 12? God wrote his law on tablets of stone. What happened to those tablets? Huh? Yes. Moses is the only guy in the Bible that broke all 10 commandments at once. <laughs> Wham. So obviously the Lord gives him a second set. But what I'm trying to show you is he wrote his law on tablets of stone. All right. What's the last thing that happened at Sinai? It's in 32 and 28. 3,000 people died. 3,000 people died. Why? He comes down from the mountain. They're butt naked dancing around a golden cow. This is what they said. We threw that in there and this cow came out. How stupid can you be? You know? So you know what Moses did? This is the whole thing about jewelry. You want me to tell you my, my, my impression of jewelry? I, I believe if it wasn't for that incident, I think God would have found you just buried in that stuff to show his blessing on you. But what Moses did is he took that gold and he ground it up and put it in their water and told them to drink it. Why? Because he wanted the gold on the inside. And we're living in a world of a lot of bling and a lot of flash. And, 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 and I'm not saying women ought to be dowdy, but I, I want you to understand something. Makeup and all that, it's a cheap substitute for the presence of God. It said he'll beautify the meek with salvation. Hallelujah. There you go. And it's just this Bible study. Yahoo. And it's just, I, I want you, 3,000 people died. Where? At the first Pentecost. That's the history. Now what's the fulfillment? I got to get some wind. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And I, I got to get some fire. And there were tongues like as a fire that set upon each of them. But it's better now because in the first Pentecost, God spoke to them. But at the fulfillment of Pentecost, God spoke through them. All right. This is what it says in the book of Corinthians. I, 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 got, a, I got a verse here somewhere. Um, uh, try 2 Corinthians 3 and 3, Matthew. It says in, in that first Pentecost, he inscribed his law on tablets of stone. But I think this is the verse. It said he has written his law, not in tables of stone, but in the fleshly tables of our heart. Hallelujah. All right. You know, Acts 2, 38. Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ and you shall be for the remission of sins and you shall be filled with the gift of the Holy for the promise unto you and unto your children 
and all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Watch. And with many other words, I like that. Every preacher likes that. With many other words, did he testify and exhort, saying, save yourself from this untoward generation. And then they that gladly received the word were baptized. And that same day, there was added 3,000 souls. Everything that accompanied the first Pentecost accompanied the fulfillment of Pentecost. The fire, the wind, God speaking through them, writing his law on our heart. 3,000, the gospel's death, burial, and resurrection. So 3,000 of them obeyed the gospel. So 3,000 of them died just like they did at the first Pentecost. That's why Jesus said, Moses wrote about me. Ladies and gentlemen, we'll do this and then we'll quit. In the book of Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Ghost was poured out and they're wondering what's going on, Peter stood up and said, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I'll pour my spirit on all flesh. And for years, I always said, Peter quoted Joel 2.28. But when you go back to Joel 2.28, it doesn't, it's not exactly what Peter said. Because Peter said, in the last days. That's not what Joel said. Joel said, it shall come to pass afterward. I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. And so, I just, years ago, asked the simple question. After what? The answer is in verse 27. You shall know that I'm the Lord, your God. And my people shall never be ashamed. And it shall come to pass afterward. After what? After my people get over their shame. I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. No wonder Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Are you? He said, we're fools for Christ's sake. So what? He didn't say foolish preaching, but through the foolishness of preaching, he chose to save them that believe. Ladies and gentlemen, what we are doing in this church is right. It's biblical. Death, what is the gospel? What is the gospel? Good news. No, man. The gospel, look what it says in Corinthians chapter 15. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, which I, which I preached unto you. That's a, uh, yeah, there you are. Verse 1, Matthew which you have received. That's why you're standing. I preached the gospel to you. You obeyed it. All right. And then next verse says, for I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, which he means said, I'm not going to profess something that I don't possess. I'm not going to ask you to do something that I didn't do first. Service never greater than his Lord. People never greater than the pastor. Pastor going to lead the way. I did it. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. And that he was buried. And that he rose again the third day according to the scripture. Why is the gospel so powerful? Because in Romans 1 and 16, Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God unto salvation. The gospel will save you. Jesus died, he was buried, and he rose again. That's not going to save you just agreeing and mentally ascending to the fact that that historical event occurred. No, I identify with his cross and his death through my repentance. 
That's why in Romans 6 and 4, Colossians 2 and 12, it says we're buried with him by baptism. It's why in Romans chapter 8, it says, if the spirit that raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in you, it'll do to you what it did to him. He died. He was buried. The spirit came back into the dead, buried corpse, and he was resurrected. The gospel message is repentance. That's why what, men and brethren, what shall we do? Repent, die, and be baptized, buried, every one of you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and why, and resurrection, and you shall be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. Stand. Praise God. That, in a nutshell, it's a big nut, uh, is the gospel according to Moses. <laughs> Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the chance to just sit here and soak. We thank you for the chance to be marinated in the word. Lord Jesus, I'm asking you right now. I want this to be a glorious church. I don't want it just to be a word church. I want it to be a church that receives the engrafted word and has a display and an understanding of you in their lives. Father, we accept the engrafted word tonight the incorruptible seed of the word coming into the womb of this church. And we thank you for people that have been baptized and we thank you for people that have been filled with your spirit and we believe they're going to keep on getting baptized and they're going to keep on being filled with your spirit because we are going to keep on receiving the word into our spirit. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray and call it done. Amen. God bless you. God bless you.